Father, uh, we love you, and we are here because we love you. Um, Noah, maybe, maybe some of us are here because we're just so curious, um, and that's um, kind of what we're talking about today. But Lord, I, I pray that um, you, you whether whether we know it or not, you have drawn all of us here, every single one. This is not a just a a group general activity, but you have uniquely called every single man and woman and child to this place this morning for your purposes. And so I pray that you would do what none of us can do and open our hearts and our minds, give us uh, a new understanding of, of who you are, a deeper understanding of your love for us, a deeper understanding of our need for you. Would you make us hungrier for you? Would you um, enable us through a deeper hunger for you to engage with the people around us and the callings that you've given us differently, um, not needing something desperately from every person we encounter uh, because we are actually full in you and you are the desire of our hearts. Lord, would you do that for us? Um, Lord, we, we come with specific requests too. Lord, we pray there are some in our body who are hurting physically, who've just had surgery and who are recovering. I pray that you would um, bless them and, and be with them and be uh, the giver of life and and restorer of health and um, father those who are are lonely um, Lord would you be companion those who are um, in conflict with uh, people and feeling anxiety Lord would you come and be uh, peace and uh, father for those of us who are comfortable would you come and shake us up Lord so that we can receive from you um, and and be in touch with how deeply we need you and also how um, amazingly beyond everything we could ask or imagine you meet our needs Lord we certainly pray for um, what's going on in Ukraine uh, Lord please continue to be with those people um, please bring peace please uh, bring um, just protection and life and um, Lord just do your will and uh, Lord would we just yield to you uh, with the rest of this time and with our our lives in Jesus name amen so uh, we are continuing with this series um, be curious, kind of taken from Ted Lasso, if any Ted Lasso fans out there. Um, but the idea is that we are looking at Jesus, especially in the American South, um, and, and depending on your individual background and upbringing, a lot of people have spent a lot of time, I'm so glad you're here, uh, a lot of people have spent a lot of time hearing about Jesus and from, from well-meaning people, but also from people who've done a lot of damage. And so there's just a lot of thought out there and talk out there about who Jesus is and what he's like and what does he want from us and uh, what is he doing? Why did he come? And um, you could get a different answer for every person that you ask because it's that diverse. And so what we want to do is say um, we are so thankful for the word of God that is unchanging, that he has given us, that is it's unchanging, but it's living and active. And so um, he, it's not old and stale. It's not outdated. It doesn't need to be updated for 2022. Um, but it is, it is here that this foundation and all, especially now this age of like misinformation and spin and, and everything that's going on, um, we want to go back here and submit to this and say, Lord, you have spoken. Would you show us and tell us who you really are? And would you realign us so that we can actually see and hear you speak to us and receive you as you really are, not some version of you that we've come up with or we've meshed together from the good and the bad and all the, the strange that we've seen, like street preachers and Sunday school teachers and all these different people, some good, some, 
some terrible uh, and just messed them all up and gotten some really weird uh, Frankenstein of, of who you are. Um, but Lord, we want to see you for who you really are. And so um, something that Jesus is going to speak to us about in this passage is um, this whole concept of perspective and who's walking into whose world. And so um, it's really easy for us to kind of see the world through our lens and and then this this miracle man Jesus kind of walks into our POV and we hear about him and we're like oh um, I've got some use for you if you're not busy I've got some things I'd like you to do I've, I've got some things that um, if you really who you say you are like then maybe you could just help me with this punch list that I have um, and and to see him like that, what he's got to do is he's got to totally shift the perspective. Instead of him coming into my world and my POV, it's, it's me coming into his and me seeing life through his eyes and my life fitting into this big story that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years long before I ever drew my first breath. Because if I don't fit into what he has going on, then I'm going to miss him and everything with him. And um, it's sort of like, I don't know if y'all remember seeing the, the video that was viral a few years ago about the concert violinist who's like a master violinist that was just busking in a subway station. And he was like, you know, one of the most exceptional violin players alive. Um, and people are just walking by and not paying any attention. But they would pay thousands of dollars to see him in a concert hall. Um, but it's something about perspective. Like if I'm not expecting this, then I miss it. I'm like, okay, this guy's just getting on my nerves, or maybe it's a pleasant song, but like he's in my world, and he's just kind of a footnote, um, but if people knew, hey, this violin master is down in this subway station playing right now for free, then it would totally change the way that you receive that and receive him, and you would sit and just be in awe of what this man is doing, but it's two totally different experiences, and so um, who's reading our scripture this morning? Lindy Griffin, come on up, Lindy. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And as, as Lindy comes up here, I'll just say that is um, where he's taking us. That's where he's taking this woman that he encounters here. Okay, so, um, you know, Brant Benetti's, uh, the pastor of Midtown East, has been here a couple times, and he's asked people for uh, what they were curious about in the story, and I don't think I have to ask that question with this story, if you're paying attention. Um, what in the world is Jesus doing with this response that he gives this poor woman? Um, so, just to get us into this story, uh, Jesus, at this point in time, he has not revealed himself publicly, I mean, to the crowds as the Messiah. He is still sort of under the radar, and he is, it's just not time yet for him to do that. 
And so he is trying to actually avoid crowds as he teaches people and as he brings healings and works miracles amongst people. And so here in this episode, he's left Israel. He's left um, the, the territory of God's people, and he's out in these Gentile regions. Gentile just means non-Jewish. And so he is in Tyre and Sidon. And Sidon, um, we don't know exactly why he's there, but he's trying to remain hidden. So probably what's happening is he's going to see a Jewish person. There were Jewish people that lived all in these areas, um, probably going to see a Jewish person that he was either friends with or somebody that he was trying to go spend some time at their house far away from all the action to just get some rest. Um, and it says that he was trying to remain hidden, but he wasn't able to because the word was just spreading like wildfire that there's this man and he's done things that we've never seen before and he's bringing life to dead places and he's speaking in such a way, he's teaching in such a way that he, it's a, like he actually ha- knows God and has a friendship with God. And so people are hearing about this and they're getting excited and they're talking about him and this woman who we, we know very little about, I mean, all we know is what we have here She's a woman who's Greek. She's from this region. She's not Jewish. um, And she's a mother of a little girl. And she's the mother of a little girl who is suffering immensely. And so she she hears that there's reports that this Jesus man is in their area. And so she runs to meet him. And she falls down at his feet. And she is desperate. And and um and she's she knows about who he is because this is this story is told in other gospel accounts, and she calls him. Uh, son of David. So she knows a little bit about who Jesus is. And, and so this woman comes, and the way that Mark recounts this story is we first hear about her being the mother of a little girl who's oppressed by demons and her falling down at his feet. And it's almost like, um, in verse 26, it's almost like this dramatic pause of like, I didn't tell you this at, at the start, but um, also she was a Gentile. Like, she was, she was this Greek woman. She was, you know, back in the day, the, the old name for these people were the Canaanites, who, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, um, those were the enemies of God's people. And something that, that, the reason that's significant is in Matthew chapter 10, 5 through 8, when Jesus sends his disciples out on their first mission, basically, he says uh, to them specifically, go nowhere among the Gentiles, but rather to the lost sheep of Israel, so only go to the Jews with this message of salvation. Only go to the Jews with this good news. Um, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you bring that message, bring with it, uh, and he gives them the ability to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. That's exactly what this woman needs right now. But the problem is she's a Gentile. And so up to this point, we've heard Jesus tell his disciples, don't go to these people, at least not yet. Um, but only go to the Jews. And so Mark sets this up beautifully, and it's like, now, the woman was a Gentile. So I need to tell you that as we go on with this story. And uh, so, so it's this building tension of what is Jesus going to do? He's got this, he, you know, we've seen this man, Jesus, be so um, empathetic with people. We've seen him have this huge heart for people. We've seen these just poor people on their, like, last leg, um, coming to him with all these different ailments and these different issues and falling down at his feet and him having mercy on them and healing them and using his power to love them. But now we have this happening with this Gentile woman and what is he going to do? And verse 27, uh, he says, let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
what? How does that make you feel to read that? How does that hit your ears to hear Jesus say that to this woman whose little girl is being tormented by a demon? So we wonder, you know, it it would be beautiful if we could not read this but see it because then we wouldn't know what was coming next. And so there's this tension point where Jesus makes this statement now, she wouldn't have been surprised necessarily to hear this. Maybe she would have been surprised to hear it from him. But Jews called Samaritans dogs and, and Canaanites dogs. So this was not like he wasn't just coming up with this random word. This is what she would be used to hearing Jewish people refer to her as. Where is she going to go from here? And this is where we want to make it personal and say, where do you go from here? When you have an encounter with Jesus and it doesn't go the way that you maybe hoped or anticipated it would go. And before we see where she does go from here, um, we need to talk about two other paths that we might take. The first, which for some of us is really easy to uh, think about, and this might be our first instinct, is offense. To be deeply offended and maybe even to lash out. How dare you? How dare you talk to me like that? You know what? Forget you. I don't need this anyway. It's easy for me to imagine doing this myself. Why? Because I'm proud. And I'm used to getting everything that I want. And I'm comfortable. And I have all my needs met. And life usually just goes the way that I want it to go. And so I'm nice and I'm kind as long as everything's moving the way that I want it to move, but then when somebody stands in my way of my objective and says, hey, actually, no, like you're going to hear no, it makes me really angry. And what's making me really angry (laughs) is this feeling somewhere in me that, no, 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 I deserve this. I've I've somehow merited this. Um, This is how things should go. And, And then it becomes really clear that if this is the path that I take, if this was the path that this woman would take at this moment, then this is a lot more about me than it is about the person I'm coming for. You know, another place that she could have gone that probably in this story would have been a lot easier for her to go, uh, and some of you are going to connect with this way more than what I just said, is despair. What if she just hung her head and left? And said, you know what? I am a dog. He's right. I don't deserve any of this. And then she just leaves. And this is a little bit harder to connect, but actually that response is also more about her than it is about the person she came for. Because here's something we need to think about. What is pride? is consciousness of your own worthiness of honor. And so pride can show up in despair as well because it's all about me. It's about what I think my evaluation of my worthiness of receiving honor is and where I think that needs to fit. And so for somebody like me, 
usually that ends up on the offensive side of like, I'm offended because I think I deserve to be here and I deserve this to happen and you need to do what I want you to do. But for those of us who are on the despair side of pride, it's, oh yeah, that's about right because I don't deserve this. But it's still all about me. I've made an evaluation of my worthiness of honor and, and it doesn't fit here. So I just walk around with low expectations because I'm still only thinking about myself all the time. And both use this language of deserving. I do deserve this, I don't deserve anything. And what is deserving? To deserve is to have earned something from someone based on your worthiness. So I'm living my whole life focused on me, carrying around this idea of my worth and just plugging it into all the relationships and situations that I'm in. And it's me, 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 me all the time. It's like C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity when he was talking about pride, he said, if we met a truly humble person, we would never come away thinking that they were humble. Because a person who keeps saying that they're a nobody is actually a self-obsessed person. What we would remember is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because they're not thinking about themselves at all. And that's what we see here with this woman. This woman is not standing on pride. She's not standing on what she deserves. She is very in touch with her unworthiness and a reality check of who she is. And it doesn't make her go to offense, but it also doesn't make her go to despair because she's not thinking about herself at all. She's thinking about Jesus. She's thinking about this miracle man who's standing in front of her who potentially has the capacity, well, he definitely has the capacity, but potentially has the willingness to heal her daughter who she loves so deeply and so you know what when you have desperation and humility and love all mixed together that makes you shameless it makes you shameless and, and a, another definition or another way to describe shameless would be this courageous this humble courage or this courageous humility it's this like selfless boldness that like I'm standing in front of you because I'm not standing on my own merit I'm, I'm here trying to pay attention to who you are and, and get you to show up because you are the one, you are the one. And so she stands in front of Jesus and she is not at all thrown, which is amazing to think about that. She's not at all thrown by his answer. The door is now open to more from him. And her response is amazing. She says, yes, Lord. Everything you said, yes. And yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now I want you to think about this for a second. There's a way to read this and to think she is somehow changing something. She's not changing anything. What Jesus was gonna do, the love that he has for her, she didn't give him any of that. She didn't go earn any of that with her response. It's been in there the whole time. She is operating by a faith that has been given to her by God because Ephesians 2 is really clear that even faith is not something that we work up on our own. It's a gift from God given to us so that our eyes can be opened to see and receive him. And she is standing there in humility and shamelessness and desperation and love. And when you have all those things, when you are seeing with eyes of faith, 
guess what? It makes you attentive. It makes you pay attention. Because I've got a little girl at home who is being tormented. And you are my only hope. And so I'm going to hang on every word you say. And I'm going to see if there's any way. I mean, some of y'all out there are grinders. And uh, you know what it is. If you're in sales, uh, you probably really identify with this. I'm going to find any loophole to get in to you to get what I need. So she is standing and she is hanging on every word. She's paying attention to every single word that comes out of his mouth. And it's a really good thing she did because she didn't miss it. He said, let the children be fed first. That word first, she's hanging on to that. Like, that means I'm going to get fed too. I may not be a child, but you've just told me that's good news. Like, I'm about to get fed too. And then the word that he uses for dogs, by the way, he didn't call her a dog, right? We can miss that too. He's just saying what Jewish people say. It's not that Jesus is saying, hey, lady, you're a dog. He's not saying that. But the word that he uses for dogs is actually the word for puppies, which I think is beautiful. And he's saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the puppies. And you know what she took from that? Okay, that means we're in your house. I may not be a child, but I'm, you're still my master, and I still live in your house. And she is hanging on to everything that he says. And it's like with this, with this statement, now we're starting to see what Jesus is doing by changing the perspective to, as a, a real mercy and a gift to her to give her everything. You know, if she just walked away with healing for her daughter and that was it, she would miss a lot. He's like, I'm, I'm not just here to, like, take care of your punch list. Like, I'm here to give you so much more. And when he speaks to her like this, it's almost like he's saying, hey, hey, I'm going to drop this statement on you, but, but hang in there with me. Would you stay in this with me and, and look right here and just work with me here and see if you can see the way through this that I'm creating for you. All the things that I've just said are true, but can you see I'm giving you a way if, if and this way is only accessible through humility and faith. If you have humility and faith, which she does, and it's not her doing, it's God has given her this gift because God has prepared this moment, and he is giving him, he is giving himself to her. If you will just hang in here with me and, and just believe and just stay with me, you will find me in this. You will find what you're looking for and more. Just hang in there with me. And it's because of his love for her, because it's so necessary to change the perspective. He's got to do this with her, and he's got to do this with us. And it is painful. It's painful to be humbled. It's painful to realize that the way that I've seen the world where I'm the king of it is not actually true. And, and, the, and to see the world that in a way that it doesn't actually all revolve around me, guess what? That's going to be painful. But don't you think that's so necessary in order to come into relationship with the real king of the universe? And that's what he's doing here. If she demands for him to live in her world, she's going to miss everything. So she says, yes, Lord. She agrees with him. She submits to him. She submits to his version of reality. And, and she, in effect, says, I actually don't have a claim on you. I don't deserve anything from you. 
I'm standing here at your mercy and your grace. That's, that's the relationship we have. And I need to be reminded of that all the time because there are a lot of situations, a lot of conversations I have with the Lord where I'm demanding something from him and, and I think I'm standing on my rights and he's got to remind me, hey man, I love you so much, but you don't have any claim on me. And, and think about this too. She's talking, she's here because of a dearly loved child. And he's saying, I'm actually here. The reason we're talking about puppies and children is I'm actually here for dearly loved children too. That's why I came. And if you read through the Old Testament and you see the way that the Lord has made promises and covenants and given himself to his people, um, Jesus is saying, this is, this is only right because this is the character of God. These are, these are his children and this is who he has made a covenant to be faithful to. Now there's also going to be a way for you to become a child as well, but um, it's so important that he's just not going and putting oil on the squeakiest wheels. Like he came for his children and he came for a purpose and he came to keep his promises because of his character and his holiness. And then this is beautiful. The woman says, yes and yet. It is totally right for children to be fed first and you should never take food away from children in order to feed the pets, in order to feed the puppies. But here's the beautiful thing about kids, is they're messy. And when you break the bread and give it to the kids, as soon as they start eating, the crumbs are gonna hit the floor. And what she's saying to him is, you can still feed them first in priority, simultaneously, as you take care of me. And as you, as you feed my hunger for wholeness and healing, you can do that without being wrong and being a bad father to these children that are sitting at the table. And she said yes to everything you've said and yes to everything that I'm asking for. And uh, we don't get this in, in Mark's account, but in Matthew's account, we actually see Jesus is awed by this woman's response. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. He is wowed by this woman. And why is her faith powerful to heal? It's not anything she's done. Faith that is powerful to heal is, is basically worship and acknowledgement and sight of who Jesus is and his power. You are who you said you are. You are full of love, you are full of power, and this thing that means everything to me is nothing to you. It's like a crumb falling off a loaf of bread. And the reason that this is so beautiful to Jesus is because this is why he came to make this possible. You remember when we talked about the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus said that the Father is seeking worshipers. He is not just waiting for people to come worship him. He has put on flesh and come into this world and he is seeking for specific people, his people that he has chosen, and he's coming to every single one of us and saying, come with me. That is why he came to make this intimate relationship possible. He is the bread. He is coming and is in the process of giving himself up to be broken to turn puppies into children. 
John 6, 51 says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And she sees it. She may not see exactly how it's gonna happen, but she sees you, you are, when I hunger for wholeness and for healing, you are the bread. You are the one who satisfies that, you alone. And when you heal and when you bring wholeness, it's like there's so much power in you. There's so much love in you. There's so much ability in you. There's infinity in you that it is like nothing. I'm not putting you out right now. You can just give a word, and that's what he did. He didn't have to go anywhere. He just gave a word, and the demon left her daughter, and she was healed. And now, because of this gift that he's given her on top of that, her shamelessness is strong. Her, her, her faith is strong because it's not in herself or in what she deserves or in her worth. It's not fickle. It's not frail. And I spend so much of my life trying to build my confidence in me, trying to build my resume, trying to make myself strong. But all it does is make me weak because I'm always still depending on me. I'm always still thinking about me. I'm always still looking at me all the time. And Jesus is saying, let me give you a good gift beyond healing your daughter. Let me give you the gift of taking your eyes off of yourself and giving you a bold confidence and faith in me that is so strong because of who I am. That can be the, that is strong enough to be the foundation of your life. He has to open a new perspective to us. We're able to receive him and be made whole. And just a little, little footnote at the end here, this last verse. Look at this faith of this woman. She's come, her daughter is being tormented, and Jesus says, you know what? It's all good now. And she makes the journey back to her house without ever seeing evidence that it is. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing too. Even when she couldn't see the fulfillment of his promises, she took him at his word. And that's really, really, really encouraging and instructive to us as we have many, many promises from the Lord here to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can see them and to be able to take, them, uh, take him at his word even when we can't see the fulfillment of all these promises. That this Jesus who was broken for us, for the life of the world, um, he has made things possible that we can only taste now that one day we will fully feast on. And so um, it would do us well to remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Y'all remember? I hear some whispers. Why? They'll be satisfied. Yeah. In order to be satisfied, in order to be healed, in order to be made whole, we've got to have a different perspective. We've got to come into his world. He's not in our subway station. We're in his world. And he's got to humble us, but it's, it's not to shame us. He's not shaming this woman. He doesn't shame us. It is, it is to humble us so that we can see for the first time and receive him and receive everything in the one that we were made for.
and um, and be satisfied. And so now um, I'm going to ask John David Skipworth to come up and share a little bit about his experience of that in his life. I'm very nervous. I wrote some notes so I don't lose track, talk too long, throw up, or scream anything crazy that I regret. Um, also, just a plug at the beginning, um, if I say anything weird, um, Tom Markham wrote my notes. <laughs> and uh, you could just find him, he said, on Facebook. Okay? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, how has Jesus humbled me to honor me, like this woman? How has he showed me my need of, or, of sin, or showed me so he could heal me? Um, a little bit of context, as a young kid, I remember thinking, I know what is right, and I'm determined to be right. I had this focus on, like, I have an agenda, I know what making life looks like to work, and I know what being right looks like, and I'm going to do it. Um, I know what the plans are, I know what the best things are for myself and for those I love, and I know what being right looks like, and I'm committed to being it. Um, <clears throat> The problem with this is that when I know the way to live well, um, there's no room in my life for a relationship with, a God, with God, with a Father who loves me and actually knows what's best for me. Um, as I was uh, looking at this Gentile woman and the interaction with Jesus this week, um, it was hard to relate to at first. Um, I, as I was thinking more about her, I was, I was reminded of the rich young ruler. Um, because they're so different, because this woman, um, she sees herself and she sees her need and her vulnerability and her weakness. Um, and then she sees Jesus as life and powerful and good and bread and water. Um, and that's why she's there. And, and uh, the rich young ruler, just it, he, he has it all and he misses him. Um, and so I... Uh, That's, that's like what I've taken away from this is, is uh, Jesus is regularly entering my life and giving me and permitting circumstances that have taken me from I know what's best and I know how to be good and I'm focused on my righteousness. Um, and he's, he's detaching me from those things and he's making room in my life for him. Um, He's actually, like Matt said, um, bringing me into his world rather than just like this world I'm trying to create. Um, and he helped, he's helping me see him more clearly and, and therefore seeing myself more clearly. Um, and uh, like this woman, um, he's not only creating that space, but he's filling it with him. And so um, I, I picked a, a couple of snapshots from my life where things have happened that have reminded me of this. Um, so, uh, a season of my life when I was in high school. Um, my, my home life was very chaotic. Um, one of my closest friends had passed away from a car wreck. Another friend was battling cancer. Um, and up until this point, I, I kind of remember most of my life being, like I mentioned earlier, just having this strong confidence that, like, I know what the good life looks like, and I know I'm... I'm I know what being good looks like, and I'm very focused on 
self-improvement and being the best version of myself and this righteousness that really just comes from me just doing good. Um, and these, these events really um, took me to this place of brokenness and desperation and loneliness. Um, and, and through that, Jesus was like really um, prying my hands off of this uh, vision I had for my life and, um, and, and filling it with hope in him as a savior, a righteous savior, um, and a father who sees, um, and a God who holds all things together when, when life just doesn't make sense and it doesn't go like, like you think it should go. Um, in college, I, uh, there was a, there was a, a about 18 month period in my life where I was, I was dating a girl and I started to experience tons of anxiety and, it was, it was just a result of being too attached to that relationship and finding tons of confidence in it. Um, and it fell apart, and then I, I experienced a lot of depression from just, like, having hope that something didn't work out. Um, and God really met me in that um, and, and convicted me of how I was making gods out of, out of things that were not meant to be gods. Um, I wonder about that woman and... How was she maybe potentially having this vision for her daughter that Jesus pulled the rug out from under? Um, and as those things fell apart, God steadily, um, it took a long time, really was restoring joy in me and developing this hunger in me for a, a truer version of him that was not just giving me this life that I wanted because a big part of the picture of my life that I, I wanted to live was being married. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and I learned a lot about, um, I don't know if learned is the right word, but, um, hungering for him and, and worshiping him, um, they just kind of came together in that season, and I've, I've, I've seen that continue. Um, the last one, um, after college, about six or seven years ago, I moved back because, um, I really love my family, and they're also a mess. And um, and specifically, one of my family members was just dealing with tons of mental illness um, challenges. And I remember in college just constantly having this, like, fear of, like, I've got to be there. I've got to help. I've got to make a difference. Like, if I don't, like, just lots of life on my shoulders, um, a.k.a. anxiety for control. Um, fear of if I don't do this, what will happen? Um, just like not having trust and like God having the world in his hands and the people I love in his hands. Um, he really convicted me of a savior complex um, in that. Um, just like thinking I'm more than a son and a brother and um, his son in that situation. <sighs> yeah, and, um, and that, that stuff's still going on. But um, one way I, I've seen him working in that is just like I mentioned, like bringing me into this wisdom of leaning into him um, and the challenge that uh, in these situations, in these days right now um, with these people I love, that life is just like not going the way I think it should. Um, and these people I love are not experiencing the life and the flourishing and the wholeness that I want them to. Um, he he sees it all and he loves me and he loves them and he more than I love myself or them. Um, 
and, and he's got plans, and he promises um, um, to bring restoration and make all things new, um, and he's, he's teaching me how to rest in that um, day by day. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how Jesus has um, shifted me out of my vision for what life looks like and bringing me into uh, his story. Jesus, thank you uh, for JD. I pray with him. Thank you for his story um, and how you're working in his life and bringing um, him closer to you. Um, I thank you for the sweet reminder of of who you are um, and how JD's story can remind us each of um, how you're working in our own lives. Um, and I pray, amen. Y'all stand and worship with us.